Hello and welcome once again to It Is Complicated, the podcast where we answer every single question with It Is Complicated, including the title of the podcast, which is It Is Complicated. Episode number 50, kind of. (laughs) Hello, everybody. It's episode 50, sort of, because it's complicated. Well, it's 50 if you count the episodes that we've counted as episodes. It's 51 if you include the specials, and it's 52 if you include the specials and the little trailery thing we did when we were having a really bad time that went, we'll be back soon, promise! So, depending on how you count, because we can't keep anything uncomplicated, it's either episode 50, episode 51, or episode 52. Nonetheless, we've decided to take the occasion to celebrate ourselves a little by saying, woo we've reached our half century. Hello, Dr. J, and who are you on this episode 50, 51, or 52? I am amalgam of many things, but one of the things is I am somebody who gets to define themselves. So I get to write my own job title thanks to working at ThoughtWorks, which is Harbinger of Change, which is wonderfully fluid and allows me to go in and do all sorts of things because I'm a service designer, business analyst, and I do some producty stuff. So I spend my days hand-waving and trying to get people to get behind ideas. I got to define my own gender thanks to the New Zealand government. I wrote a statutory declaration and so my official gender is transgressive non-binary gender queer and I would like to state that upon your forms. Thank you very much indeed and thanks to New Zealand. In the next year or so I will be able to actually go and change my birth certificate to have that as my official birth certificate recorded gender which I think is absolutely fucking awesome. And they've made it easy to change your birth records. And what they're now doing is they're now consulting with the trans and non-binary community to understand the easiest way for us to do that. That is fucking awesome. I'm a troublemaker and a hashtag queer nuisance because branding and I went to one queer lecture once and picked up one thing and I figure that's about all the queer theory I ever needed. So Josephine, what are you? I'm an academic and an artist. I used to like to make a spectacle of myself upon the stage. And now, much more often, I like to draw pictures of queers and post them on the internet. I am also a lecturer at the University of Uppsala Game Design Department. And I'm also a PhD student at the University of Vienna in Austria. Now, that's because I am not an uncomplicated creature. Rather, I like to think of myself as a femme of international mystery because... It sounds great. You are a mystery to many of us. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I'm, I'm, I'm an enigma wrapped in a mystery, wrapped in a burrito. Um, hi, Jay. <laughs> hey. So I thought to celebrate our 50, it might be fun to talk about, I was going to say what's changed, although we're still in lockdown or stuck in our rooms or whatever. So what's been the things that we've done What's the things that we wished we'd done? What's the things that we would have liked to have done but couldn't do? I really like this idea of reflecting on our 50 episodes, reflecting on the time that it's been since we began, and realizing that so many things have changed. And at the same time, so many things have seemed to have come full circle around to exactly where we were, the episode that we first started. And one of those things is that, not to be too depressing, that um, we are staring down the barrel of yet another lockdown of pretty much being in not dissimilar situations than we were when we literally started this Jay because we started this in part because we were isolated also in part because Jay and I have known each other for many years 
And I think one of the things that we do well is connect over projects, over things that we like to do. So many of the things that we like to do, some of the things that we enjoy doing, become things that we are able to share. And that is a tremendous privilege. And I am very honored that anybody would want to listen to our ramblings that we would do (laughs) anyway. But it was also a wonderful opportunity to reach out and connect in a time when we were not only with each other, but with you all as listeners at a time when people were having so many difficulties connecting with people because of the pandemic. And especially as queer people, I noticed a lot of people I knew were particularly isolated, not just by the literal physicality of it, but by the social aspects of it. And so this was one of the ways in which we engage with that. On a personal level, it's been a tremendous support for me in many ways to be doing this with you, Jay. It's been wonderful to have this to focus on, but also the conversations we've had have been incredibly enlightening to me on a personal level. It's changed my mind on certain subjects, which is fun. Oh my um, God, I changed your mind. You did. Well, we, we did an episode, Fuck. if you remember. If, what the, yeah, I, I would say that. I think that's the reason. We did an episode, if you remember, on um, passing and and reading and reading and i was very much convinced by your argument during that episode in real time dear listener if you go back and listen to it you'll hear me being completely turned around not that i had a difference of opinion i just hadn't heard the concept put in that way before and the other thing was this notion of being misgendered or mispronounced that really opened my mind to something because yeah there were many occasions when i've have had people mispronoun me and didn't mean it in any bad way. And having that as a term that I can not only use for an experience that I've had, but also to refer other people to, because I've had many conversations with people who are very nervous about like, oh goodness, I've mispronounced someone, or they would say I've misgendered someone and I've upset them, or I fear I might upset someone if I do this. And it's like, it's a lovely way to talk about it with not only other people, but also myself. So I've incorporated that into my own work and day-to-day conversations. And so, yeah, this podcast has done a lot for me in the last, what is it, year and a half, I suppose? Yeah, because when we started it, I think I was on furlough or was about to be furloughed. So I didn't have anything much on. I was locked in my flat and that sense of fear of the outside world that was super pervasive, which is actually, I was going to say something that I think I gained quite quickly, a fear of strangeness, a worry all the time that even meeting somebody could kill me. There was just that constant, constant fear that we were living under. And just having someone to talk to who was in the same situation of having to be fearful of not having that daily structure in quite the same way that you're used to having. So now we're both working. We've got days that are totally structured. You turn up at this time, you do the thing, you then do the 27 meetings, you then do the other thing, you do some stuff and then it finishes and you get to go have some dinner and your days have structure. And even though they blend into each other a little bit, that structure actually helps you notice that days pass and days are different. Whereas for a while there, you and I were in this grayness of every single day felt the same. You could get up, play some Skyrim, have some food, play some more Skyrim, go to bed. And that could have been any day in about three months. And one of the things was reconnect, re-allowing ourselves to fall back into that conversation that we'd always had. And I think it was that we were just in spaces where we could reach out and we had the time to spend just talking and listening to each other. And 
throwing around topics in the way that we always have. It's kind of like, let's take something and talk about it and show it over is A, that I get to do it with you is amazing. B, that people seem to enjoy us waffling on about this is amazing. But also that people find something that they can use out of this waffling is amazing as well. My professional life is constantly spent simplifying, finding the edges, chewing on it and going, oh, what if we define it like this? And just doing that with the stuff that we're talking about led to things like, well, there's a difference between somebody accidentally using the wrong pronoun and somebody deliberately misgendering. So let's call them by slightly different things, even though they both feel pretty stink. One feels much more stinker than the other. And this notion of reading and passing came from, in the episode, I remember where I say where I first heard it, and it was either Esbeer Bergman or Kate Bornstein. But it was just such a different way of seeing how that interaction between the person and the person who is looking at the person interact and what pressures that it puts on. Because I like talking about somebody as being read as something. I'm often read as masculine, which is hilarious to me in so many ways, but also useful in so many ways. And I play around with that. I occasionally get read as quite feminine, but it's much more campy feminine than femme. And there's differences there and you can play around with those. And I really like the notion of just talking through and exploring those ideas. I'm a talk to thinker. And I think this has been one of the biggest delights of this for me is that this is somewhere where I can talk about this stuff, which allows me to think about it, which allows me to consider it. And which is why often you'll hear stuff that almost sounds like it's being worked out in real time because surprise it is because that's the way that my brain works. I'm somebody who you give me a problem, you give me something, I will always need someone to talk it through with. And if I've done that, I can generally find all the edges. But if you ask me to sit down by myself with it, I just get lost in it because I can't find the right words to explain stuff. And yeah, the fact that people actually listen to this just shocks me endlessly Mm -hmm. with delight. In my own work at the moment, actually, dear listener, I just had an article published very recently in the International Journal of Role-Playing. I wrote an article about why role-playing games could be really useful for trans people to explore, express, and embody ourselves. And one of the things that it occurred to me was really useful in that kind of environment was having your experiences reflected back at you by other people and relating that to certain you know, Ministry of Obvious Psychology <laughs> reports that say having your identity acknowledged and reflected back to you is a way in order for people to feel good about who they are, right? Clearly an obvious thing, but there are studies that show that and that's very useful because then I as an academic get to write down, oh, look, this person said it, so it must be true. But also it sounds obvious, but it is also profoundly important and true that to be able to speak and be heard and be reflected back on is one of the ways in which we recognize ourselves. We understand ourselves. We understand our ideas. It's how we recognize experience that's similar to our own. And I genuinely think that's why people do listen. I am very grateful for that. Very honored throughout my career as someone who's spoken in front of people or performed in front of people. I've always been tremendously proud of those times when people who have come back and said that they recognize something in what we've been saying. And I do believe that when you and I talk about our struggles with structures, that 
one of the worst things of those structures is they tend to make you feel like you're the only one who's having that experience, when the truth is that's not the case, that actually our own experiences are not dissimilar to many people's. So when you and I have talked about well, what it feels like to be isolated as queer people during the pandemic, and one of the things that's really, really useful is to speak about it, record it, and put it out there, we know that that's useful because other people have told us that is the case. And also I, as a queer person who's isolated, have sought out queer people talking on the internet that I could listen to talking about their experiences, because that's really important to me right now, because I don't have the community and the connections that I need in order to not feel like I'm the only one. There's an academic paper that I want to recommend to you, and hopefully I will get to read eventually, which was about how queers on TikTok have carved out spaces to be able to see and be seen and that's one of the hugest things that I've really enjoyed getting into during lockdown the creativity that a lot of the young people being able to express themselves it's seeing this vibrancy that's coming through in terms of expressing gender and sexuality and these notions and ideas that just start to blow your mind that there's now a debate as to whether non-binary is a valid term to use because it's in opposition to a binary so why would you define yourself in opposition to something and I'm just like you're going so far beyond where I thought we could even be within my lifetime. It's blowing my mind. I am literally waiting for somebody to turn around and go, okay, so my gender is this, my sexuality is this, my this is this, my this is this, and just blending it all together. And Gen Z, they set me on fire. They make me so alive watching what they're doing and the creativity and the making of space and the way that they do it just makes me so pleased I'm around. I feel like I could never produce in that way because that's not a medium that I'm comfortable in but this kind of medium I can do similar things and again we're taking up space we're playing around with those notions but I can't do a 90 second or a 30 second or a however long they are video thing because that's not a medium I can work in but I can work in this medium and make space in this kind of space and it's not even seeing your own reflections it's seeing what a past you would have just so adored. I think of the 15, 16 year old me just struggling so hard. If something like this had been around, oh my God, what a difference my life would have taken. And that's not saying I regret where I am now, but just looking back, it's like, wow, I want to make more space for these kids. I want to make more space for people to get involved and do the stuff. I want to encourage people to get involved and to not just produce it, but consume it. Don't think that TikTok is just full of crap. That's Twitter. But find the LGBT TikTok. Find the QTI TikTok. Find those commentators who are weird, who are edgy, who are playing around with notions of gender and sexuality in so many different ways. And some of them aren't doing it perfectly. Nobody is. But they're all doing it. They're all reflecting this mirror ball of identities back at each other and the more light that's being shared around, the brighter stuff is getting and the, the more things that are being lit. Yeah, it blows my mind. That's why I think queerness happens in conversation. We talk often about the difficulty of being able to establish a certain sense of queer identity or queer subjectivity. It's why I use the word subjectivity over identity, although I think identity is as useful a concept as subjectivity. But the reason I talk about it in terms of subjectivity is because it's very hard to nail down what is our identity. For example, as Jay just said, non-binary is a notion that is in direct opposite to a binary. Why would you 
want to reference something in the negative in order to identify yourself. That's a really interesting conversation. That is a queer conversation. That is where queer subjectivity exists in communication. It happens in dialogue, in discourse, interconnectedness. And whether that's in relation to yourself, if you're discussing this internally, but especially if you're discussing it externally with a potential audience who might be able to benefit from that in any way. Because I know I, as an audience, have benefited tremendously from people having these kinds of discourses, of even talking about this as a discourse, of talking about queerness as happening in the liminal space between us as people, talking about queerness as happening in that notion of discussion communication and that's what's so exciting to me and to be able to be part of the discussion so when jay you say some people are producing this on tiktok i know queer people and trans people who i've known through twitter even though twitter is a cesspool nightmare of awful there are beautiful spots there where there are conversations happening that i would never have come across in any other walk of life but to be able to see those moments even in dark spots like that is tremendously valuable but to always know that queerness can happen in communication like that is tremendously valuable to me and to be part of that conversation not suggesting that we're the end of any conversation but perhaps to be part of that conversation or maybe even if we're really lucky to be the inspiration of some conversation it means a lot to me and so I love that idea and I think for me looking back on this year and a half with the podcast and looking forward what we might do with it in the future is I want to continue having these kinds of conversations and knowing that we'll change our minds on things that things might change and our situations have changed this is something we haven't talked about a bit but you know when I started this out I didn't have a job Another reason we started this was because Josephine was thoroughly unemployed and had plenty of time on her hands in this tiny room, what I am in right now. And as we've gone along, I started on a project and then I got a job, a job that's been incredibly special to me, but also very, very challenging. I'm writing, I'm designing games. And all of the conversations that Jay and I have had, as well as the thoughts that it's provoked and the conversations that have followed on from the conversations you and I've had, have formed part of that work. So the writing I'm doing now is in part impacted by the conversations we've had. The game I'll design will be part of that. The work I'm doing in different areas will be part of that. The teaching I'm doing. I've mentioned Jay in in lectures. I've talked about doing this podcast in meetings because people ask me what I'm doing. I'm like, well, I co-host this podcast with Dr. Jay. And so our conversation impacts so many different aspects of my life and I kind of love that I also now have a record that I can listen back to. And this is purely personal listener this may not be your experience but my experience is i can listen back and hear that history through that year and a half of 50 some episodes one day i'll sit down and listen to us talk about all these things again and it'll be really interesting to hear the genesis of ideas to reflect on the impact that it's had on other work going forward I have two thoughts. The first one is there's that Noam Chomsky notion that you can't have the thought without the language. And that's one of the things that I love about our discussions is sometimes I can struggle for a concept and you will provide the language or vice versa. We will come up with a concept or a language to talk about it. And once we've got that notion like the mispronouning. We could then start talking about it and discuss it and discuss where the edges were and where the edges weren't because we had a thing to discuss. And it's that once you get the language in, and this is why I'm so excited by this whole creativity around what genders are, the difference between aromantic and asexual, all of those things are really, really important and really fascinating discussions. And I have 
so much admiration for the people who can figure out what these things should be called or how to describe them in ways that make sense and how to describe all of these different ways of seeing the world. The other thing that I was going to say is going back and listening to stuff. I've had a hard couple of weeks, just yeah, life shit. And I had a couple of really, really rough nights where not only could I not sleep, I was getting very tense and wound up. And this is going to sound so fucking weird, but I actually found listening to our podcast one of the best things that I could do because I had the lovely voice of Josephine talking to me and calming me down, even if it was the past me. And even if there's a me there and I'm like, oh, I feel a bit like that. But then Josephine would say something and I'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah. It just calmed me down and soothed me, which sounds so weird because when we talked about voices, we know that I don't like my voice. I have a problem with it. I don't like hearing it. But yet again, there's a complication there that I do actually like listening to our podcast in some ways because there are times where it has soothed me, especially when I was incredibly raging with something that happened. And transphobia was just, I won't say it was killing me, but it was doing a pretty good attempt there. And it really, really got me upset and angry. And just listening to that episode where we talk about being hurt and angry is complicated. And hearing a hurt and angry me being calmed down or being talked to and not in a calm down love, it's nothing. In a, yes, you're right to be angry. Yes, it's your kindness that makes you this angry. There is something about you that makes you this person. And that's an amazing person. And yes, that person gets angry because of the stuff that's happening. And it's okay to be angry. Just let it go through you and process it. That just helped me through that really dark tea time of the soul. And a reference to Josephine's favorite author or second favorite author. I'm not sure. First or second. Neil Gaiman's number one, isn't he? Yeah, Terry Pratchett might be second. Douglas Adams is high up there. (laughs) Okay, in the top five, one of Josephine's top five authors. One of the things of this for me has been going back and listening to an angry me have a conversation and coming out of it still angry, still upset, but feeling heard and seen in the anger and upset. And just reflecting that back to the angry hurt me, I mean, it's like, oh, yeah. It's okay. It's going to be okay. You'll get through tonight. You'll be fine. You'll calm down. I did, processed it, worked it through, and talked to the person involved. And yeah, it's all sorted now. And I also know that they listen to this. So it's kind of like one of those things of, but it was a huge thing and it was really upsetting. I don't think it's weird. I would never use that word. I'm actually quite honored that our conversation could have that impact for you, Jay. So as much as we might do this for other people, for listeners, I am so happy that our conversations might have an impact on someone who isn't you and me, Jay. <laughs> but that it would have an impact on us is, is deeply special to me. I love thinking about these things intellectually, but the passion and the reason the need comes from an emotional space that often doesn't have words to be able to share and express difficult emotions that we don't necessarily have language for because we're not given language for the complicated feelings that come from being different in this society. It doesn't have a language because it's not allowed to be spoken. To have that opportunity to find those words, to discuss those feelings and to share space is very important to me. And that you and I would be able to be in such a position to share that with other people even more so. So I don't think it's weird. 
I just think it's magical that that has that impact on you. And I'm really pleased. I have listened to us uh, as well on occasion, not just because I'm the editor, but because I, you know, when the episode's done and I find it really satisfying too, it's really nice. Dear listener, I find I'm reluctant to watch or listen to things I'm in. I'm one of those people. I had the delight, weirdly enough, this week, one of my favorite things I've ever received in the mail, which was completely a surprise, was a card that arrived in the post. There is a a person I've uh, played a role-playing game who we got to talking about the film Die Card that I'm in. And I ended up sending a, a copy to this person. And this person told me they really enjoyed it. And then... I got a card suddenly in the post a couple of weeks later, and I, I don't really know how to describe it. I'm not the best audio describer, but I'll try. It's a winter scene, a um, forest with snow coming down. Everything's covered in snow. And there is a sled being pulled by two very happy looking dogs full of packages. And the person who's leading the sled is a delightful femme in spectacular red and white underwear with flowing hair and big black boots. Uh, and inside the card says wishing you a glamorous Christmas, which I, I wish everyone a glamorous holiday, no matter how you celebrate or what you celebrate. But inside is a series of not just one message, but several messages from a film club called The Skull. Uh, and The Skull has given Die Card several fabulous reviews, including, uh, here's one, uh, No Scenery Left Unchewed. Another, which is, this film was like having a third puberty. So there you go. Um <laughs> I don't like watching Die Card. I'm scared of watching it because I see myself on screen and feel very self-conscious. But I'll watch it anyway. And I've recently been asked to screen it for some other people. And I'm scared and nervous to watch it, even though I know it's had good reactions. Our podcast, I find easier to listen to. And I don't think that's a question of value. I just maybe it just means a different thing to me. And I don't know what I'm saying anymore. I've kind of lost No, I thread of this, but... I think it's also, and this is going to sound weird because I know how much work you do, you clean us up and make us our best selves. So we're not just listening to our ourselves, we're listening to our bestest selves without stuttering and stumbling and, and, and moments and things like that. Our arguments sound logical because you take out the moments where we go, oh, fuck, what was I talking about? I do edit the podcast. In order for things to sound more cohesive, to sound good, to sound well. But one of the funny things with editing, and this is true for writing and anything else, is that you need to be able to retain the voice of the person speaking. And it's been kind of lovely to try to present, Jay, your voice as best I can, my own voice, I suppose, as well, in a way that I know retains the essence of what we're saying without making it saccharine. Or I've listened to other podcasts to try and learn how to edit. That's something I didn't know how to do dear listener at the beginning of this process was how to edit uh, sound and so for this podcast I learned how to do it and I continued to pick up ideas and so I listened to a lot of podcasts I listened to a few things try to find out how to do it and there are podcasts that are very very edited and I understand the impulse but I still wanted to retain something of our voice and I think it's been working it's kind of been lovely way to reflect on our conversations as well I suppose but yes to try and present something that isn't full of um and weird aside that doesn't non-secretary goes nowhere, which if you were in a conversation with us, dear listener, you might find you'd be more surprised by the number of weird asides and random quotations and thoughts that appear in our conversations. But perhaps that's for uh, another edition. <laughs> 
Maybe this that's, complicated at some point. That's that's for when we do a live recording. We should possibly, I don't know, I feel like 99.9% of the um, podcasts that I listen to always have a like a, come join us live at our recording. And I'm like, I think we really? agreed. I think we agreed we'd never do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because I'm really like, because I'm like, for us, it would be the worst thing. Because most of our recording is us chatting to each other about our lives, and then occasionally conversation breaks out that's coherent in the middle of that. I can't speak for the audience, Jay. Maybe they'd like to hear all that, but I'm reluctant to find out. And one of the things that I was going to say is, I've also been listening to a lot of podcasts because who hasn't? Number one in lockdown, number one activity, listen to podcasts. Number two activity, create a podcast. But I'm also very aware of the parasocial notions of knowing somebody intensely from listening to them talk in your ears and reflecting it in your head. And then you meet them. And even if you know them, there's an intimacy that you've developed with them and their voice that they haven't developed with you. And that is very, very weird and very interesting to experience. I know you and I know your voice and I have a relationship with it and a relationship with who you are or who I think you are, but I'm not quite sure that's who you are, but you make the same noisy sounds. (laughs) My laugh never changes. Oh, I get it, Jay. I mean, it's it's about having that dynamic with someone who you haven't been able to meet, but you have something in common with. Mm. And then realizing when you meet that person or you have that dynamic, what distinctions there are, but what mm. remains. The thing that Jay and I, I think I can speak for both of us, that we do is we put a lot of ourselves in our work. I know artists too try to keep a significant distance and I entirely understand the impulse. But in our case, it is very much a see what you get kind of thing. Um <laughs> I sometimes think that's because the talent it takes to be so very distant from yourself and your art is beyond me. Uh, also, it's just I'm that exhausted. I don't have time for it. Um, I'm going for option two rather than option one. I think we have the talent to do that. We just cannot be fucked. We do not have a fuck to give. Yeah, I mean, I found that the way to survive for me, this isn't true for everybody, for me is I've been privileged enough, lucky enough to have been able to be open as a trans person. I've out as a trans person. So no one can find out I'm trans. But I mean, a lot of people have to hide that because it's scary or dangerous to be out and trans. I've been lucky enough to be out and trans. And that means I've been able to be open about my experience. And yeah, for me, being able to share in an artistic environment has sometimes been a place where I've been able to have very difficult conversations I wasn't even necessarily prepared to have without an audience. <laughs> this is really weird, actually. Yeah. God, that's really dangerous. I totally get it. It's why I put vulnerability as one of my superpowers, because you can't out me as being non-binary because I'm out as being non-binary. You can't out me as having bad mental health. I'm out as having bad mental health. You can't out me as coming from working class background because I'm out as being at a working class background. You can't threaten outing me to ThoughtWorks because ThoughtWorks know exactly what I do. We talk about it. I did a TED talk that ThoughtWorks helped me prepare called Inclusive Teams Deliver. So in short, I guess this is an opportunity for us to continue to be vulnerable and to share our experiences not only with each other, but with you, dear listener. And one of the big changes for me from a year and a half ago when we started at episode one is that we have an audience, that we have people who listen to this on a regular basis and I don't really know what even to say about that. That is the most wonderful, special, delightful feeling. And that is a huge, huge change 
to have yeah. an audience like this. And I'm really, really grateful for you, dear listener. Thank you for joining us every time we, we do one of these. And we will continue. Our plan is to carry on, I guess, to do another 50. Millions! Oh, my God. Um, well, I guess life will continue to be complicated, so I can't imagine we'll run out of topics. <laughs> Speaking of topics. Oh, um, that's one thing that did massively change, and I can't remember which number it changed at, which was we moved from talking about a particular author and how vile she was to talking about a particular actor and how breathtaking he is. And that has totally changed our upbeatness and our anger and our delight at the world. I spoke to a listener and they said that they very much appreciated the difference. And I think there's something about creating the overall dynamic of a space, even if it's an online space like this. Jay and I are used to creating club spaces or performance spaces. And one of my big things is when you start making a space, decide at the very beginning what kind of culture you want to create. Because if you start at the beginning to try and create that culture, you'll have a much better chance of being able to facilitate that and inspire that in the people who might join you. Weirdly enough, yes, we were very angry with said author and she continues to give reason to be very angry about her. But I like the idea of shifting our dynamic by focusing on something really, really positive. And this week for our 50th episode, dear listener, I, I don't mean to cut short our reminiscence, but I really enjoy every time we do one of these, the opportunity to ask Jay about this particular actor. We both agree is breathtaking. Whether or not next time we will discuss said breathtaking actor. To this episode, I really wanted to set aside some time to talk about how breathtaking this actor is, to actually do it. Now, don't get me wrong. Next time I'm going to ask Jay if we can speak about it again. We shall continue the jape. Don't worry, dear listener. It would take many episodes to discuss exactly how breathtaking the sector is. This time, Jay, I really would like to spend a bit of time talking about how breathtaking this particular person is in a particular instance of a particular movie that both you and I have witnessed recently. And I would like to take some time on this very special 50th episode to speak about a very special instance of how breathtaking Keanu Reeves is. Would you mind doing that with me? Do you want to spell out exactly who the actor is, ah. what movie, and which scene we're talking about? Okay, yes. Okay, the actor is Keanu Reeves, because Keanu Reeves is breathtaking. We've discussed this on, on a number of occasions. The movie is uh, The Matrix Resurrections. Uh, spoilers, for those of you who haven't watched it yet, we're going to discuss The Matrix Resurrections and other things related to The Matrix, and we're going to spoil the crap out of it. Or if you don't care to be spoiled on those things and please listen on but that's that's what we were about to do and the scene i'm particularly talking about is all of them all of them see every single one every single one that he's in or even the ones that he isn't in even the ones that he isn't in because the movie is breathtaking <laughs> not just because kenry is in it but because it was created by trans people <laughs> because it's giant trans allegory, because it's queer as all get out. Um, I believe- oh my God, it is, it is more fucking queer than a queer thing. I'm just looking at it going, the fact that they code the heteronormative love interest as a queer relationship, I'm just watching it. And there's that moment where they both have shaved heads, and this is going to be one of my things, where they both wake up from the thingies, and they've both got the shaved heads, and they look so fucking similar and I'm just like oh my god it does just play off all of the trans reflected selves and everything like that but also it's two people who are aging in the way that we all age both the actors involved their faces show that they're 
and their 40s and 50s. And they both look stunning for it and breathtaking for it because they are naturally allowed to be themselves. They are not attempting to hide who they are. They they are not attempting to be something that they're not. And I think that is one of the reasons why he really is so breathtaking, is that he doesn't seem to have a lot of artifice. His acting style really hasn't changed a lot since he was a surfer dude. And I mean, we've discussed this with um, Dangerous Liaisons, <laughs> Dangerous Liaisons via, via, <laughs> via a surf dude. We've yet to discuss his particular appearance in Dracula, for example. Oh, yes, no, no, we'll go, we'll go to Dracula at some point. But it's just literally watching somebody who is just so inhabiting themselves, both of them, and to have a woman on screen acting as a strong woman, acting as a woman who rides motorbikes. I was watching it and there was all this meta stuff going on in the back of my head of like, apart from the other Matrix film, is this the only film where a fucking woman is riding the motorbike and the man is on the back? Because in every other movie, it's always the reverse. It's always the big biker guy and the little girly on the back. And there's always that notion of, the woman being the lesser in the partnership. And in this, the woman is equal, if not more, if not greater. I mean, that final scene, she is the stronger one of the two and has always been so. She is the one, not he. When I first watched The Matrix, the first one, and I watched it in the cinema, dear listener, when it came out, and then I watched it many times. It was, I think, the first film that I went to the cinema more than once for. And when I first watched the very first time, there's a scene where... Neo is holding onto this rope from a helicopter that's descending and then Trinity grabs the rope and jumps out the helicopter mm-hmm. and smashes that it. That moment. And there's a, there's a cutaway to Morpheus. And I thought the line was, she is the one. I heard that and I went, oh, that's amazing. Of course, Trinity's the one. She's always been the one. And it wasn't. I misheard it. But honestly, for me, the movies have always been that Trinity's the one. The Trinity has always been the one. And I mean, of course, this all presumes that we read Neo as male. <laughs> of course. So there's that, which of course I don't. Because <laughs> that's ever since watching Sophie from Mars, and they do it with someone else. And I'll try to find their names. They do a wonderful YouTube video basically saying the Matrix sequels are better than you think or something like that. That's the title of it. And they do this amazing breakdown of exactly why Neo and Trinity are actually a lesbian couple, just in terms of the imagery, the ways in which it's been coded through all the movies, but also just just flat out the pictures from the like posters and so forth. But yes, to me, Trinity always was the one. And in this, she has this amazing line right in the middle where they're having a conversation over coffee. And she says something like, oh, I had kids. And why did I choose to have children? Was it because that's what's assumed of a woman? And it was kind of like almost not throwaway line, but it was not focused on in the way that, you know, text is often focused on. But I thought like that's so important because what they're talking about is this idea of doing what's expected, fitting into the mold, following the trajectory. The thing that you and I have talked about so much, Jay, is these ideas of there are these trajectories, the normative trajectories and what it means to break away from that. And just through codification, just through presenting characters in certain ways, especially fucking with the meta in the way that that movie does, which is so Oh my God, good. genius. That, oh, I, was, I, was, I was just squealing with delight at so many moments. So many moments. I was like, 
you meta, 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 fuck that one. And it was so good. But to have in the middle, just this little line of like, gender is real. Because that's the other thing. Like you could, and people do this often, the, the conversations in media theory and games theory is always like, how do you present a marginalized gendered person as a strong character? Well, we take away everything that is marginalized about their gender, we present them as just as strong as the boys, mm. right? That's how you present a strong character, right? No, you demonstrate how they relate to who they are in the society they are in and how they've been managed to be able to overcome that through certain actions and communities and behaviors and working against those normative structures. That's what you do. And that's what they do with Trinity. And Trinity has this amazing arc of doing that. And then and Neo too. Neo has this sort of like struggle of disempowerment and one of the most amazing things about this particular film i'm often looking for really good representations of ptsd as someone who's had ptsd myself seeing a representation of what ptsd is like and how it's treated and how it's mistreated sometimes it's very rare to see in mainstream cinema this has some of the most poignant and personal representations of it that almost like i was like (laughs) this is a little hard to watch but it was really really good and at the beginning especially in those scenes where neo is trying to decide what's real and what's not in terms of his own experience and how he's related to it and how he's not presented as this character who's just muscling his way through it was just really really gratifying to me and to see how he's trying to help himself and how he's being sabotaged by the structures he's in. And then, yeah, the meta of having supposedly written The Matrix himself as a cultural artifact, as a game, and then being asked to produce the hack sequel of it and that be the beginning of the sequel to the trilogy was just stunning. And to watch him grapple with that. And again, that notion of normativity and having to fit a mold and trying to break that mold and then being known as an innovator and then having that innovation being stolen and taken away from you. So like, you know, the ways in which the red pill has been Mm. stolen by Elon Musk and the Trump daughter and whatever else. And then, you know, having to respond to that by going, hey, don't you fuck with my (laughs) agenda. (laughs) It's not yours, right? It's going to take several more viewings to watch. Oh, yeah. To truly appreciate how breathtaking not only the movie is, but yes, how breathtaking Keanu Reeves is and how breathtaking Carrie Ann Moss was. I also really enjoyed the notion of otherness. The fact that otherness became beyond physical. So there were others who were of completely different physicality, completely different yes. life history, who were accepted because of the way that they acted, not for how they looked. And that came through multiple times. And I was like, this is really taking that notion of what it means to be somebody, what it means to be working against a societal structure, because it also reflected that the societal structure is poisonous, not just to the people who are fighting it, us, but also just people who are trapped within it. Mm. The number of men who have spent the day reading about the impact of owing money on people's mental health. And most of the stories that I've been reading have been about young or middle-aged men and their ways of coping or not coping. And it's all because they're trapped within a societal structure that doesn't allow them to have that fear, to have those feelings, to fail. If everything in your life is built on success, failing is not an option. And because it's not an option, it's making this toxic structure where if you're under so much pressure, you might fail, people fail harder. 
and don't have that support when they fail, don't know that it's okay to fail and stand back up again. It's okay to feel all of these feelings and get help because the structures don't allow for it. And I think there was some of that notion, especially around Keanu's character, around Neo and how much he was failing or not able to express it or told that he shouldn't express it and being put into structures where that was limited. Oh, but you should be doing this because you're this big successful guy. And it's like, no, I'm sitting here barely able to hold my head together today. Why are you calling me successful? Almost. But then that's us, queer, PTSD, surviving, mental health, open people watching it. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how other people read it. And if other people are able to get those same messages from it or whether all they see is the action, which, and I have to say, oh my God, the you talked about the notion of turning things and flipping edges. And I just have to say some of the new ways that they played around with space and the liminal spaces and how spaces interconnect. Oh my God, that was so fucking genius. I could talk about this film forever. I wanted to talk about the actors who played uh, Morpheus and Bugs. Bugs, (gasps) Bugs, who I heard described as um, someone, again, who was previewing the movie and was like, oh, I'm excited because there is a character who has blue hair and clearly has pronouns called bugs (laughs) and and things like that you know and who knows because their gender is never clearly set i don't believe they're ever referred in any way and they seem very clearly codified as queer as many other characters are and yeah it was wonderful to see morpheus oh my god that i want to spend every time i was just like oh i don't know whether i want him or want to be him i feel in that little nas x moment of i want to fuck the people i envy but wasn't it interesting to see the different... Anyway, yeah, we could go on and yeah, on and on, yeah. on. No, because I, because to me, he's queer-coded. He's obviously got a queerness to him, to his existence, which is flamboyance, but is not little Nas X flamboyance. He's not imitating anyone. There is just a beauty and a confidence there in his change from one thing to another. And I'm just like... Again, I want to fuck the people I envy or envy the people I fuck. I literally don't know. I'm like... I almost want to leave it there on that noise, Jay. I feel like let's leave was, it there on that noise. I think that sound was our review. We could do a offshoot podcast, <laughs> the Matrix Resurrections discussion podcast, and have fifty episodes of that because there's let's so much here. Let's not, but but let's continue discussing this at the end of podcasts because. Keanu Reeves' breathtakingness will constantly be referred to, and we can always go backwards and forwards between different movies. Absolutely. It's a universal that, as everything else is complicated and everything else changes in our world, dear listener, the one constant is that Keanu Reeves is breathtaking, that Lana Wachowski is breathtaking, that The Matrix Resurrections is breathtaking, the people in it and the themes being discussed within it are so complicated and breathtaking that we might have to return to that. I just want to add there is a truth universally acknowledged that Keanu Reeves is breathtaking. Just to mash up Keanu and Jane Austen, two of my faves. Well, there you go, dear listener. Thank you again for joining us this time. Please join us again when we return for more conversations about how Keanu Reeves is breathtaking and other things in our 51st, 52nd or 53rd episode (laughs) next time. If you are enjoying what you are hearing and you'd like to support us, please go to patreon.com slash it is complicated all one word. Any of the money that we collect goes to interviewing queer people and bringing them on as guests. And otherwise, please continue listening either way. Oh, you can also follow us on Twitter at it is complicated without the E and wherever good podcasts are sold. 
that too. That's such a pleasure. Thank you for 50. Thank you. Thank you for doing this 50 times or 51 or 52 times with me. It's so complicated. It is complicated. How can we just not be able to count? It's complicated. (laughs) 